Hi, and thanks for listening to another audio podcast from Creekside Community Church, Narangba, Queensland. For more information and resources, please visit our website at www.creekside.org.au. Now, uh, we began a series last week called uh, The Book of James, Wisdom from Above, and we're going to continue on that series. Some of you were away because obviously it was school holidays, some of you were off travelling and different things like that. So I'm going to do a little bit of a recap on on last week's message, but then we're going to continue on as well. And uh, we're going to work our way through the book of James over these next eight weeks. It's going to be a really special time just looking at some key passages throughout the book of James and seeing what it has to say for us. And so we launched that series. And uh, some of you, I just want to encourage you over these next eight weeks, make sure you take some time to read the book of James. It only takes about 12 minutes to read. Only five, I think, five chapters. So really, it's quite a quick read, and you're able to get through and just grab as much wisdom as you can. In fact, why not this week take the challenge and get into your word, and let's read a chapter every day over the next five days, and you'll have it all read for next Sunday. Does that sound good? Some bit, a little bit of homework. And that way, we're starting to get that word into us even before we come along and hear what the, the word is saying to us here at church as well. So open your Bibles to the book of James, have a read through. You could even read the book of James every day for, for the next five or seven days, only 12 minutes a day. I think we could do that and start to memorize some of the great verses that are in that book as well. I know there's many verses in here that have really challenged me and really helped me to grow. So I encourage you to do that. Why don't we just pray for a moment that God would open our hearts as we look in his word. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are speaking to us. Lord, you're always wanting to communicate with us. And Lord, there's different ways you do that. One is most importantly, and that is through your word. As we open it up, we read it, we think about it, we meditate on it. We allow it to soak deep into our DNA and into our bones and into the core of who we are into our soul. And Lord, you take it there and that truth gets planted deep and it takes root and then it starts to spring up out of our lives as a plant would spring up above ground after it takes root. Lord, your word of truth is the kind of seeds that we want planted in our hearts. So Lord, I pray as we just look into this today, especially on chapter one of James that you would have some seeds that would just plant deeply and take root and challenge us deeply to walk closer to you, Lord, with your wisdom and help us grow and become more complete as your people. In Jesus' name, amen. So last week we started on chapter one and we looked at the first eight verses of James and it was all about facing trials of many kinds. And let's be honest, we all face trials of many kinds, true? Probably as we were thinking about that through the week, you probably thought, yes, that's definitely something that I have to deal with, something that I have definitely different types of struggles in my life, different trials of many kinds. And that's why James, he just dives straight into it. He says, I reckon 99% of you are probably going to struggle with this next verse. And we looked at this verse, and that was, or oh, I didn't put it up on the screen, but it was the verse, um, let me go back. It was the verse that says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. And we struggle with that, I think. How do we face trials of many kinds, but with the attitude 
of pure joy. That's a big one. If you missed that sermon last week, I want to encourage you. It'll be on the podcast. Go back and have a listen to that, please, as you can get that first kind of start to the book of James. He literally says, hello, greetings, everyone, and dive straight into this big topic, considering it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. And something we spoke about last week is that God absolutely allows us to go through trials of many kinds. Trials are different to temptations. He allows us to go through trials. He doesn't tempt us. We'll talk about that in a moment. But he does allow us to go through trials in life that tests our faith because of the value of what it will bring about in our lives. What will it bring? Remember, the tests that we face will reveal something deeper within. It will reveal whether you need to redo that lesson in life or keep going around that same mountain, as we said last week, or whether you're out of graduate in a sense the bible says it can make you mature and complete that's what he says god is interested in you moving on and growing and growing deeper in him to become mature and complete and trials of many kinds is how that happens you know when we go through the good times the easy times the the fun times the the times the things are just going all rosy for us in our lives we we really don't grow that much that's just times to enjoy God's God's presence in our life but you know it's those difficult times that makes us dig deeper into God and lean into him by faith if we allow them to they will grow us and make us more complete as people it says perseverance in James 1 4 must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete God is wanting us to persevere and build that strong character. And we finished off last week's message with verse 112. It says, blessed is the man. Say blessed. Blessed is the man. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Most of us are praying, Lord, get me out of this. I don't want to go through this trial. Lord, help me find a way out. And God's saying, no, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. Blessed is the man who fellowships with the sufferings like Jesus suffered. Blessed is the man. For although you will go through this this suffering for a little while, God will make you strong and firm and steadfast, he says in 1 Peter. It's interesting. And Peter talks about this. James talks about this. Paul talks about this. Jesus talks about this. This suffering subject is not something we should avoid as Christians is something that is very clear in the Bible. Suffering can be and is a part of every Christian's life. It's how we deal with suffering. It's the attitude to which we face suffering. It's how we walk through it. It says, consider it pure joy, not the suffering itself. I said last week that would be sadistic to actually think that the, be joyful of that suffering. No, we have the joy of the Lord. He is our strength. And we walk with the joy of the Lord, which is the spirit of God within us. And that gives me confidence to walk through trials of many kinds. The joy of God helps me. The spirit of God filling me to keep walking through the the trials and the struggles that we face in our lives. Paul says, rejoice always. Again, I say rejoice as he's chained up in prison, writing these words to us in suffering. He says, James says, blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For when he has stood that test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. I think we should memorize that verse, church. I think we should memorize that verse. Verse 12, 112. When you read your Bible this week and you go over chapter 1 again, I want you to memorize verse 12. Can you all do that? Yes or yes? 
Great answer. All right. Then he literally goes on in the very next breath and he says, now let's talk about temptations. So he starts all this, face trials of many kinds, and then he says, now let's talk about temptations. And temptations are different to trials. Temptations are not from God. The enemy is trying to tempt you away from God. They're just like a lure. When we go out fishing, we put the lure on the, on the line, we go out fishing, it's like you use the lure to put in front of the fish and jiggle it around in front of them to get their attention because the light will shine on it in different ways and it'll tempt the fish. And then when you finally take the bite, take the hook, it's too late because then you're caught. So when it comes to dealing with temptations in our lives, we need to know that this is a game that the devil is playing with you all the time every day. The devil will make sure that, he has, that you have an opportunity to take that lure, to take that hook whenever he can and create that in your life. All temptation has one goal. It's to get you away from God, to break your intimacy with God, to ruin your relationship with God to break your intimacy down, to disempower your walk with God, to unfocus you off of God, to weaken you in your spiritual life, to steal you away from from God, to dilute your spiritual potency, to kill your passion for the Lord, to destroy you from the inside out. So when you're dealing with temptation, you need to understand what the devil's plan is in temptation and it's to ruin your life. The Bible says that he is prowling around like a roaring lion looking for who he may devour. He wants to steal, kill and destroy your life. That's his plan. He has a plan. He has a purpose. The way he does it is he tempts you. So when dealing with temptations, we first must, number one, recognise where temptation is coming from. It's not coming from God. Let's be clear. The devil doesn't make you do it either. The devil doesn't make you sin. You've all heard that saying, oh, the devil made me do it. You heard that one? Well, that's not true. The devil puts the opportunity in front of you, but you still have a choice. Can I hear an amen? He makes it look really good. And he makes it look pretty and shiny and jiggles that lure around in front of you because that's his job. That's what he's trying to do. He did it to Jesus. He did it all through scripture. He's still doing it today. He's still tempting every one of us to sin. But he can't make you do it. It's still your choice to choose to take the hook, to choose to give into temptation, right? The devil only has the power in our life that we give to him. Because we stand firm in Christ. And Christ has overcome the power of the devil. And we are filled with the spirit of Christ. Not in and of ourselves. We've got no strength in ourselves. In fact, the Bible says that my righteousness is like a filthy rag in God's sight. But in the righteousness of Christ, which I live and stand in, then I can stand against the power of the devil. Any temptations of the devil, I can resist. The devil only has that power that I have given him permission to have in my life. He can lure me away from God. He can lure me away from sin. But it's my choice to do that. Remember I said before that he's looking for those that he may devour. Well, I say in the name of Jesus, he may not devour me. And he may not devour you. Are you giving him permission to devour your life today? The Bible says in James 1.13, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. So let's be clear. Recognize where it's coming from. It doesn't say also when you are tempted. It says what? If you are tempted. It says if you are tempted. We will be tempted probably most days of our lives in all different areas of our lives. We're probably going to be tempted in some way. In different areas we'll be tempted about honesty and about integrity and about money and about sex and about power. And we're going to be tempted about the stuff we deal with on a daily basis that God wants us to stand firm and live by his word in these areas of our lives. The devil doesn't want us to live God's way in the area of money and live God's way in the area of our sexuality. He doesn't want us to live God's way in the area of pride and and power and all of these key areas of integrity and honesty in the world. The devil doesn't want us to live that way. And so he creates ways to lure you away from God's ways all the time. So we need to understand it's not God who is tempting me, it's Satan tempting me. And that's his name. He is a tempter. He is a deceiver. He is a liar. And of course, he won't get me to bite most of the time, 99% of the time. He knows I stand strong. I stand firm in most areas of my life. But he knows my little 1% area, right? He knows, the, he knows your 1% area, doesn't he? That area where you feel weak. And it's in that area you need the grace of God. It's in that area, it says, when you are weak, I will be strong. God's word says that his grace is sufficient for you and his strength is made perfect in your weakness. So just expect it as part of your life as a Christian, you are going to be tempted probably almost every day. He's constantly tempting you with something that's packed full of promise in your life. And it looks great on the outside, but on the inside, it's just a bunch of evil that will devour your life and sabotage your life. And that's why this next point is so important. We need to, number two, understand how temptation rolls out. If you're going into a battle, isn't it good to know the enemy's plan? Wouldn't it be good to know the enemy's plan? So James goes here in these next verses and tells us the enemy's plan. I mean, how much do we have? How much better footage do we have if we're going into a battle and we already know his plan? He's not that smart. James knew it and he wrote it down for us right here. James is saying here these next couple of verses, if you just knew how temptation is going to roll out in your life, then you can be prepared for it. You're going to be better off because you can see it coming and when it comes, you can say, ah, Lord, I can see it. I'm wiser for it. And you're going to be protected from it as you understand the enemy's plan. So let's read what these verses say in James 1, 14 and 15. Let's read it together. Are you ready? But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. So as we look at how temptation rolls out here in our lives, we actually, now we're about, right here, going to expose the devil's plan in your life. How good is that? He's going to lose some power in your life right now because you can see what's coming. And then you can stand firm and be immovable and know that the work you're going to do for the Lord is not in vain. You'll stay true to him. You'll stay true with a heart of integrity and a heart of purity, a heart for God. And you'll rise up above temptation. 
So as we look at this and roll it out, we're actually going to expose his plans. Let's not be unaware of his scheme. Let's know what his plan is. And here's what it is. And James, these two verses, the first section says, you're going to be tempted, but each one of you is tempted. You are going to be tempted. Each one of us will be tempted. We acknowledge that. This is a stage of temptation. It's going to happen to you. Everyone will be tempted. The enemy is trying to tempt you. You should not associate the amount of temptation that you're going through in that area right now that you're struggling with, with your spirituality in a sense. In fact, maybe you could say, consider it a compliment. The enemy is trying to drag you down and stop you walking forward with God. He wants you to be far from God. So you've got a target on your back. Jesus was tempted. Every one of us is tempted. In Hebrews 4, he says he was tempted on all points and yet had no sin. Isn't that amazing? He experienced every temptation that's out there. Temptation in itself here is not a bad thing. It's not a bad thing to be tempted. Don't feel like you've spiritually failed because you got tempted. It's not a bad thing. Don't feel guilty because you got tempted. Just remember... It's Satan's plan. Remember, he's prowling around trying to tempt you. And I say he may not devour me, but he's still there jiggling that little lure in front of your face. We're all tempted. That's the first part of that verse. The next part says it gets into imagining our imagination, being dragged away with our own evil desire. It says we have our own evil desire. I would think of this like our imagination or our fantasy or our having a fascination in our mind with something, that evil desire, that kind of, what would it be like? What would it be like if I ate it or I drank it or I did it or I slept with it or I broke that or did that? What would it be like? What would that feel like if I smoked it or whatever? We begin to rationalise it with our own evil desires. We begin to say to ourselves these things, would it be okay if I just tried it? You know, It's really not that bad, God, surely. But if you don't stop the process right there, the next part of that verse says, he is dragged away and enticed, enticed towards sin. You may not have sinned yet at this point. You've been tempted. Your fantasy has started in your mind, but you remember James says that now you could be dragged away and enticed if you don't stop it. You're taking steps. You're walking in the wrong direction. When you commit adultery, church, it doesn't happen overnight. Adultery didn't happen in an instant. It happens as you walk towards that sin over time. You're being dragged away. You're being enticed. You're you're kind of playing with the fantasy. Adultery began with a look. And then it was a second look. And then it was a secret text. And then it was a secret meeting. And then it was an emotional connection with that person and that void starting to be filled and a deeper connection. And then it was a lustful spirit starting to grow within you and a physical desire. And then it was a touch. And then you're walking into sin and being dragged away and enticed. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over weeks and months and years. People think the grass is greener on the other side. So they walk over there or they get dragged over there and enticed over there to have a look and jump the fence and so on. But beware, 
If the grass is greener on the other side, the water bill is a lot higher. <laughs> and we know that water is expensive these days, right? It looks good from over here. And it might look good and it might feel good and it might taste good and it might sound good from over this side. But I'll tell you what, on the other side, it is not good. It's just the enemy. He's got the lure shiny in front of your eyes, tempting you to drag you away and entice you. And when you start moving towards that sin, you start walking in that direction, you need to do what the Bible says. You know what the Bible says, church? It's in one word. Flee. And I'm not talking about the little flea on the insect. He says flee. Flee from it. Turn around. Run away from it before you fall into the sin. 1 Corinthians 6.18. Flee from sexual immorality. Turn. Run as fast as you can. Some of you, you need to do it right now. You are so close to sin. You are so close to Jumping the fence, falling into something, you're just one bite away from taking the hook. Flee. Turn around. I have some great advice for you. Run. If you're in a relationship right now that has sexual immorality in it, turn around right now. Don't just walk away from it. End it. Get it right. Get your relationship with God right first. And then as you establish God's ways, you can start to build a relationship and actually be blessed in your relationships. And then God will bless you. If you keep walking into sin, you're going to end up falling into sin. The truth is, Satan wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy your sexuality. He wants to destroy your relationships. He wants to destroy every area of your life. And if you give in to temptation in this way, that's how he's going to do it. The next part is the act of sin. It says, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So it finally happens. You give in to the temptation. Your imagination got the better of you. You didn't kind of stop it in his pathway. You got dragged away and enticed and you kept walking towards a sin and now you've sinned. You've disobeyed God. What is sin? Let's talk about that for a moment. You've disobeyed God's word. You've rebelled against God's holy word. You've taken your life into your own hands instead of surrendering it to God and living his ways. Now you're living your ways or Satan's ways instead of God's ways. You've taken the bite and you've fallen for Satan's scheme. It's discouraging, hey? But let me give you some hope right now. You can see the depth of the problem, but I want to give you some solutions, some hope, some answers, because we didn't come here to get depressed today, amen? We have hope right now because God is a God of grace and forgiveness. Proverbs 24:16 says a righteous man fails seven times but he rises again. A righteous man fails seven times but he rises again. We have a God who understands temptation and he is 
a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances and fifth chances and sixth chances. He's a God of grace. If you're in your sin right now and you know you're in sin right now, whatever area that is, God already knows you're in sin, by the way. And he's not disgusted with you. And you don't need to feel like, oh, so guilty as a failure. He loves you. He sent his son to die for you to make it right again for you because he knows you are weak. Hebrews 4 says that he sympathizes with our weaknesses. He's a high priest who looks at you and says, yes, I remember that temptation. That was a hard one. And he goes to his father and he intercedes on our behalf and he says, God, Father, we got to help him. we got to help him. He's dealing with that. I know that what that was like. That was a hard one. I was tempted with that too. Why does he sympathise with us? Because he loves us with an undying love. That's why he gave his life for us. He lavished his love upon us. Hebrews 4 goes on to say, let us approach the throne of grace. Approach the throne of grace and find mercy in our time of need. Don't get too discouraged. Just turn around. Just repent of it and leave it here today in this room. Turn around. End it. Jesus said to the adulterous woman, now go and sin no more. He forgave her. He loved her. He had mercy on her. He had grace on her. And he said, now go and sin no more. So don't get all discouraged. Just turn it around. That's why you came to church today. To turn it around, right? To turn it around. You didn't come here to hear that you're a lousy sinner. You already know that, right? You came here today to hear that you can be saved from your sins. And you could turn it around. But if you don't turn it around, James goes on to say there's another stage. And it's this stage when it's full grown. When sin is full grown, it gives birth to death. James says sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now that could be physical death. That's possible. But many times it's a relationship death or it's an emotional death, or it's definitely a spiritual death, or it's financial death. It just brings about death in these areas of your life. The Bible tries to save us from this. In Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a way that seems right to a man, but in the end it only leads to death. So we've got to stop walking in our own ways, in our way, on our own paths, and start trusting in the Lord and walking on his straight path, which he has set for us. We've got to start memorising these types of verses. So just remember when the devil makes it look good and he jiggles that lure in front of you, it's going to ultimately lead to death and that's his plan. Remember, his plan is to steal, kill and destroy you, your life. That's his plan and now you know it. Maybe you should write this down. Maybe you should think about the many different things that are going to happen in your life if you choose to keep sinning. 
If you choose to go on in that sin, what are the consequences of that sin going to play out? What are the 10, 15, 20 different things that are going to happen in your life if you keep going down that road? How many people is it going to affect? How many people are you going to have to stand before and deal with? How many people are you going to have to say sorry for in the end? How many others is it going to destroy as you go through? What are the consequences of that sin? Maybe you should have a wake-up call right now and get a real understanding of the consequence of what's going to happen to your life if you don't stop this and take in that lure. Think about the consequences of your life. Think about the consequences in your marriage. Think about the consequences in your, your physical health. Think about the consequence in walking in the blessing of God. Think about the consequences of your intimacy with God. All of a sudden, it doesn't look that good anymore on the other side of the fence, does it? It doesn't sound so green anymore when I have to face up to it, when I have to see the disappointment in my kids' eyes, when I have to do those things and stand before you as a church and, and, and repent of something. When I, it doesn't look so good anymore, does it? When your sin is full grown, the consequence of that sin leads to death. And all of these things will happen plus more. So we need to learn how to overcome temptation. The Bible says in James 1, 16, 17, Don't be deceived, my brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. This kind of sounds like a new topic, doesn't it? But it's not. It's, it's tied in. It's right there. It's following this temptation verses. It's saying, and I think the great news he's giving us right here is, he's saying when you're being tempted, church, realize that God has great gifts. He's got great things to give you to help you get that out of that mess in your life. His good and perfect gifts are coming from above, and he's there to help you. God is giving you a way out. He's saying God has obligated himself to rescue you and provide a way out for you from under this sin. He's promised you to give you a way out. Let me show you a memory verse from when I was a teenager. 1 Corinthians 10.13. Great verse. Let's read it together. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out that you can stand up under it. What a great promise. Let's give God a clap for that one because we need it. We just thank God for that one. I can tell you that I've used that verse and it comes to my mind whenever I face temptation. I'm like, oh yes, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that no temptation has seized me except what is common to man. That means that it's all the same. All the temptations are the same. Everyone has dealt with these. It's, the devil's got no new tricks up his sleeve. It's the same stuff. Money, sex, power, pride, all of those things. And so I know all this, no temptation sees me except what's common to everybody. We all deal with this stuff. But God is faithful. He is faithful. He will not let me be tempted beyond what I can bear. He will always provide a way out from under it. Isn't that amazing? And he won't give me anything beyond what I could bear. That's the other thing. He won't allow me to go anything through anything that I cannot bear through the strength of Christ in me. I think that's fantastic. So I want to give you a few tips on this. Um, how about avoiding harmful influences right from the start? Well, let's just not put ourselves in a place of temptation right from the start. Avoid 
Avoid that. Make better decisions about the kind of music you're listening to all the time and drumming into your head. Make better choices about the kind of movies that you're watching. Make better choices about what you're clicking on on the internet. Make better choices about the boundaries that you've set and what's acceptable in, in God's eyes. I'm just saying that there's a whole lot easier to kind of quit drinking without going to the bar and having a beer in your hand and holding it there and saying no. That was really profound, right? (laughs) But it was good too, right? So just avoid the harmful influences from the start. The things you know you're being tempted in, just avoid it. Stop the distraction from the very beginning. It's not about finding the line and seeing, oh, how far to the line can I get before I step into sin or get dragged away and enticed? How strong can I be before I kind of have to give up because I'm weak? Don't even ask where the line is. Just avoid it from the start. God wants you to be holy because he is holy as well. And he loves you. So let's have hearts of purity. Let's not try and find the line. Just don't go there. It's kind of like saying there's an edge of the cliff. I'm okay. I'm just going to walk up to the edge of the cliff. I'm okay, everybody. There's a big cliff, but I'm all right. And then you fall off. You think, well, why'd you fall off? I didn't because you went too far to the edge of the cliff. It's the same thing. Just avoid going up to the edge of the cliff. Here's another thing we can do, a little tip. Let's counter temptations with God's word or counteract it. It's kind of we come against it. Jesus did this, didn't he? Jesus was being tempted. He would quote back God's word to him. God's word is truth and it comes against deception. God's word is truth. It's like a light that shines in the darkness. When you start quoting scripture about what God says in the, in the temptation, it's the darkness starts to disappear because light dispels the darkness. So we fight temptation. We fight the enemy's plan with God's word. That's why it's so important to memorize God's word. If you don't have any of God's word in your mind and your heart, then you can't do that. It's very hard to start reading God's word. That's why I say, read the book of James for me this week, everyone. Let's read it. Come back next week. And we say, yes, we're getting it into our DNA. We're getting it into our soul. That's something we can do. And then another thing is that we can develop a healthy relationship with someone where you have some accountability someone you can talk to. Some of you are trapped in a sin right now and you've tried and you've failed and you've repented and you've got out and you've been good for a while and then you've failed and you've sinned and you feel guilty and you've repented and you got out and you came to the altar and you had laying on our hands and you've been anointed with oil and you've done everything to break free from this and you can't. Why? Because the way that your mind is working... God is setting you free spiritually. He's breaking it spiritually over your life, but you're not renewing your mind. You're not setting a new thought process. You haven't got accountability to hold your feet to the fire. You've got no strength to stand firm because you've got no one sharing that with you and holding you accountable. So it's so important you develop a healthy relationship with someone you trust that you can share that with and help them walk that journey with you. And then for the next 21 days minimum, you start renewing your mind on the truth of God's word around that. 
You start thinking, what's the opposite of that toxic thought that's plaguing your mind? You start filling your mind and renewing your mind on God's word over the next three weeks and start a new habit, a new neural pathway in your brain. You start washing your brain, brainwashing yourself, training your brain to think a different way. Yes, God has set you free spiritually and he will when you come and repent and apologize and seek his forgiveness. But you know what? You can go and sin again because you haven't created a new way of thinking. God's way. You still live with your old way. That's why Paul says, do not, tra- do not be conformed any longer to the old pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. This is a key. You must renew your mind. And having a healthy relationship with someone who can walk that journey with you is so important. Is that helpful? Do you think that's helpful? Which means we need to humble our hearts and walk alongside someone and say, I've got a problem. I need some help. I need some strength. I need a brother in Christ to walk this journey with me for the next 21 days minimum and then someone to just continue that journey with me because I can't do it on my own. Accountability is the key. And then number four, as we'll finish with this one, it's all about falling in love with Jesus. James 1.18 says, He chose to give birth to us by, by giving us his true word. And we, out of all creation, became his prized possession. You are his prized possession. He loves you. He didn't just give us Jesus. He gave us Jesus, who is madly in love with you. He is in love with you. And this is the secret to temptation. Don't just try to fight Satan and win his game. You've got to do a lot more than that. I just need to fall in love with Jesus. I'm just not that interested in sin when I fall in love with Jesus. The more I fall in love with Jesus, the more irresistible he is to me. Look at this next verse, in John 14, verse 15. Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey what I command. Don't spend all your time trying to fight the temptations of the devil. Spend all your time obeying his commands. Spend all your time building a relationship with Jesus. Don't try so hard not to sin and not to fall and focusing on the problem. Focus on Jesus. Fall in love with Jesus. Listen to me. Spend all of your time falling in love with Jesus and you will obey his commands. Spend all of your time loving him and avoiding sin and temptation can be a byproduct of your loving, intimate relationship with Jesus. Let me say it this way. Temptation is not really testing your self-control. Temptation is testing your relationship with Jesus. Temptation is not really testing your self-control because if you don't love Jesus, you've got nothing to give. If you don't love Jesus, you will not stand firm in temptation. You won't have the strength. 
You won't have the power. So you might say, I want to live the right life, God. I want to be holy because you're holy. I want to go to church. I want to do the right things. So let's have our worship team come at this time. We'll have communion together. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. Let's hold on to our communion today. If you need one, uh, just raise your hand. If you didn't, grab the elements coming in. They'll be coming down the aisles. This right here is a sign of God's love and how much he loves us. This right here is also the way out from sin. We've all been trapped in sin. The Bible says that no one is righteous. No, not one. Not one of us. Not one of us can do this on our own. The Bible says that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standards. So we're all in the same boat. But I just praise God for this. This little piece of bread here is, is the way out. This little cup of juice is the way out. He made a way out for us. And as you take this this morning, I want you to think about that, what I just said, that if you love me, you will obey my commands. Think about your relationship with God right now. Do you love him? Think about that. So as you take this, make a new promise to God. I'm giving you my heart, Lord, because I love you. I need your help, God, because I love you. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me, rescuing me. Thank you for making a way out for me. I love you, Lord. I love you. I love you. Thank you for loving me. I take this bread now and Receive the love of God. We take this this um, juice and we are reminded of the blood of Jesus. What amazing love that he had to die as a to fulfill the penalty of our sins. He did it all because he sympathizes with our weaknesses. And God wanted to restore our relationship with him. So as we drink this, it's all about love. Let's drink it now and be filled with his love. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. Thank you, dear Heavenly Father. This is where we're all just quietly praying. Um, I just feel led to offer that there may be some people here who are just saying, I need to come to... Jesus today. He's made a way. 
He's made a way out for you. I need to come to Jesus and I need to give him my heart and build that loving relationship with him. I need to turn away from my sin. I know I need to do these things, Lord. I need to refocus on you. Is there anyone here? I just want to pray for you. Just maybe make eye contact with me or just lift your hand a little bit so I could see um, see you because I'd love to pray. Thank you. God bless you. So anyone else, just lift your hand quickly. I'm just scanning the room a little bit. Thanks, mate. Good. Praise God. God's touching people's hearts. Does anyone else just quickly make eye contact with me and raise your hand if you would? Okay. Thank you, Lord. For those who've raised their hands today just to pray for you, and we'll all join our hearts together. God, we know that temptation entices and drags us away and wherever we're at, those who raised their hand, Lord, this message touched them and you're wanting to take them that next step with you, take them a little deeper in you today and you're doing that right now. Thank you, Lord, for your word that you are, we don't have to scratch and scrape and strive and hope and wonder if we made it. Lord, your word says you made it. You made a way. So we just stand firm in that truth today. So I pray, especially those who just felt led to acknowledge that, raise their hand, Lord. Just give them that spiritual strength. Give them that power to be overcomers and do all the things we talked about today and standing firm against temptation as well. In the name of Jesus, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. We'll sing Waymaker.